Well, good evening. The thing that the Lord's placed on my mind tonight is the mind. And um, I want to look at uh, the difference between having a spiritual mind versus a carnal mind. Having a mind of Christ versus a worldly mind. Of having our mind fixated on the Lord and thinking and everything that our viewpoint, our worldview would be, would be the same as God and thinking like God. One of the things that's caught my attention as of the past several years is a lot of times you see either young people, older people, and as they make decisions in life, you sit there and go, what are they thinking? What is going on in their mind? And as you try to rationalize it, you try to think it out, and what is going on here, a lot of times it just doesn't even make sense. I remember a while back I was talking to one brother, not, not anyone that goes here, but I was asking him how his family was doing and so on and so forth, and asked him about his daughter. And all of a sudden he got this, his countenance went down. She's not doing good. I'm like, well, what's going on? Well, she went off to college. And then she started partying, and now she's living with some man. And you just go, what in the world? Were you, what is going on in her mind? Why all of a sudden, all the, 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 the Christian values, everything she stands for, is just thrown out the window? And all of a sudden, you take on the viewpoint of the world. You take on what the world is accepted as okay, and that's what you're going to live by, and that's what you're going to go by. Everything that your parents have taught you, everything that the Bible has taught you, everything that God has taught you, you just throw it out the window. And a lot of times, in this other case, it was people that they've known for less than six months, they side with them and go that route versus with the family and everyone else that loves them and will take care of them for the rest of their lives. And that will be there for them, they go with strangers. And you just go, what goes on in that mind? If you can turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at, and I believe, one of the things that takes place in the Christian's life is that we open our mind up and allow for the thoughts of this world to enter in. We don't guard our mind. We don't, we don't protect it. We don't value it. And through our eyes, through our ears, and through the world in which we live in, we allow the influences of this world and the world system and really of the devil to come in and to influence us. We are in a day and age right now where uh, more so than I've ever seen in my life, and, and maybe I'm sure those that have lived longer than me can say that the Christian values are really under attack. I mean, we, we have it to a point now to where not only homosexuality is, is accepted, um, but it, it's endorsed to now it's transgender, that if I want to change my sex from a male to a woman, it, it's approved of and encouraged, and it's looked on as being okay. And not only is it okay, but people are, are forced to accept it. And in this world, and how stupid it is, but we have this big debate going on to which bathroom can they use. Did they use the male or female? And now we've got to come up with this transgender bathroom. And, and all morality, all common sense, all logic has left 
And now it's basically everything that's right in your own eyes is what is right. But the Christian is the narrow-minded one. The Christian that says, no, we believe in what God says is, is right and wrong. We're the ones being condemned. We're the ones that they want to silence. To, it's so far gone in the minds of this world, and we're going to get into it a little later, is that the world would willingly accept a religion that murders people and kills people and protects their freedoms. And these individuals, if they protect, they would behead them if they got a chance. But yet they stand up for their freedom and they accept it. The mind has gone in this world. And we're going to find out that this is the Lord actually gives them over to this mind to do what is unfitting. But First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 if you don't listen to anything else that is said or read, but if you take this to heart and away with you, this is tremendous spiritual insight that Peter is giving here. Verse 13 says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust." as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Now, when I first read this, and you heard of this, it, it makes no sense to me. You look at it, and literally it's Greek to me. I don't, I don't get it, because we don't dress in this culture. We have no idea of how, how, what relevance this has. But if we were to look back and you go into Exodus and, and so forth, there's actually commandment on the Passover to gird up to your loins, to be prepared to go. And the ideal here is in the, the Jewish tradition of clothing, they wear robes. And if you think about it in simple aspect, if you were wearing a robe or a tunic, this garment that hangs down past your knees, and you tried to run, you tried to move quickly, what would end up happening? It would entangle you. It would, it would tie you up. It would hinder you from going on. One of the things that drives me nuts is when you drive around either today or when I'm on patrol, and you see these kids that wear their, their pants way down past their, their waist. Sagging, I guess they call it. Um, I don't know how that's comfortable. And I don't know how, and, and I've seen these I don't want to be mean, but these idiots try to run from us. And it just doesn't work out. It, it doesn't, they end up having to pull up their pants while they're running, and, and they're, it's because they got a pant size that is 10 sizes over their size, but they think it's cool and it's hanging down. Well, the whole point here is <clears throat> in the Jewish tradition of when it was time to go to battle or to walk quickly or, or to move from one place to the other, you got to go, is you gird it up, as you take that robe up and you tie it to your belt, you wrap it around, you tie it up so that your legs are free to move freely and that they can move in a quick way, especially when it's time for battle. And what it speaks of is, is a readiness, and particularly in the day of Passover, it's a very interesting thing that he commands them to gird up your loins as well as have your sandals on be ready to go because the next day after they, they kill uh, the lamb and put it on the, the doorpost and lentil, that the next day they got to be ready to go. Because as the Lord it goes through and strikes all the firstborn throughout Egypt, it's time to go. 
You don't have time to tie up. You don't have time to, to uh, get prepared. But he wants you to be prepared. But the same thing now, Peter takes this girding up of the loins and applies it to your mind. How does this apply to your mind? I want to read uh, Bill McDonald what he says here because I thought it was excellent like he usually is. He says, the girding up of the mind is an interesting figure of speech. In eastern lands, people wore long flowing robes. When they wanted to walk fast or with minimum hindrance, they would tie the robe around their waist with a belt. In this way, the girding <clears throat> girded up their loins. But what does Peter mean by gird up the loins of your mind? As they went out into a hostile world, believers were to avoid panic and distraction. In times of persecution, there was always a tendency to become rattled and confused. A girded mind is one that is strong, composed, cool, and ready for action. It is the <clears throat> unimpeded by the distraction of human fear of per or persecution. So we're to gird up our minds, tighten it up. If we were to follow sin that enters into our, our, our lives, our false doctrine, where do you think it begins with that first? Enters the mind. And what ends up happening, I believe, is an ungirded mind. We let it down a little bit, and that information enters our mind, and we begin to entertain it. You see, a girded mind would not entertain sin. It would not entertain worldliness. It would not entertain these things. But what we end up doing in the world, and it's interesting because Peter here, the context is that the, he's writing to pilgrims, the people that are, that are foreigners out in a foreign land. And as you walk through this world, and as we walk in this world as pilgrims, as strangers, as foreigners, this is not our homeland, that if we don't gird up our minds and protect it from the, the trash and the filth that's all around us, we end up thinking like the world thinks. We end up taking on the worldly viewpoints. And I believe this is what happens with Christians when we fall into sin, when we fall into areas, is that our minds are no longer girded, but it's left flowing and hindrances come along. We allow things to enter in to our thought process that we shouldn't. Now, it's an amazing thing. Our mind is truly amazing in the ability to reason, to think, to contemplate things. Um, it's truly fascinating what man has through his intellect developed and designed from tall buildings um, that's, that could um, withstand earthquakes to a certain magnitude, to withstand hurricanes, to withstand certain things. And the arrogance of man back in the Titanics and that tremendous ship in which they built. But you really show how stupid man really is and how he's not fully comprehended every little aspect as he designed the Titanic and it sunk. And the, the headlines they actually put out that God could not even sink that ship. And he did. But God has given us this ability to think and reason. And the purpose being is so that we can contemplate and understand God and take in his ways. That's what he's given us a mind for. And a wasted mind is a mind that's wasted on worldly facts and, 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 and thoughts and everything else that has, is meaningless. One of the things that back in years ago, I loved the Miami Dolphins and I loved Dan Marino, greatest quarterback to ever play. <laughs> back in the day, if you were to ask me, he held all these records and I was able to rattle them off. 
He held the, the most touchdown passes in a game, the most touchdowns in a, passes in a season, the most yards thrown. And as you go on, and, and, and what does that show? I idolize this guy. I think he's the greatest. And I filled my mind full of all these, these facts that as we get together, I could sit there and rattle off all these stats about the Dolphins, their winning season when he came in. And um, that shows that I, I've put a lot of mind time to knowing who Dan Marino is. But it's all meaningless. It is a meaningless mind stat. Now, it's great for conversation to be able to witness to somebody else, to build a bridge, to be able to talk to someone. But other than that, it's meaningless. And as you go around, you hear through the headlines, his unbreakable stats are broken. And there's always someone greater that comes along that can throw more yardage or whatever it might be. But the whole point is, is that what do we spend our mind time on? What, do, what, what are we focusing on? What, what are we developing in our minds and thinking? I'm sure we can sit here and think about the, the tremendous people with tremendous minds and how they've wasted their life on, on, on developing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Meaningless stuff. Where they could have been developing in the, in the word of God and in, in the Lord's ways. So Peter has encouraged them to gird up the loins of their minds, to be sober, and to rest hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're to be sober-minded, and the opposite of, of, of sober is obviously a drunkenness. And one thing I, um, you see with whether it's an impaired driver or someone that's under the influence of narcotics or alcohol is they lose their ability to control their bodies. They're not of a sound mind, but they're one of, of wavering to where they can't control what's going to go on. And he says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ is revealed, and this is our hope, is that one day, as our hand was saying, we will see him. We're going to see him one day. We're, our salvation will be complete. These bodies in which we war within, that sinful nature that we have within us, will one day be rid out of, it'll be gone from our bodies, and we will have completely unadulterated minds of Christ that we think nothing but the holy thoughts of God throughout all of eternity. And we can learn of God. And no longer, as we sit here sometimes in Lord's Supper, I know this doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me that all of a sudden this wicked thought comes into your mind, this unpure thought, this un, where did this come from? Well, it's because I've been walking in this world all week long. You know, when I go to work, uh, and I was going to be honest, 50% of our conversation, not our conversation, but the conversation of the people around me, is all of the worldly talk, of a sexual nature, of this or that, of, of filth, of the F word, every other word. And uh, this is what you go into the world to, to work and to be a witness and to be a testimony, but you're surrounded by all this stuff. And the minute that you ungird your mind, the minute that you let it down a little bit, and you allow this information to come into, what happens to your thinking? What happened to your, your reasoning? All of a sudden, your mind starts playing tricks on you and saying, hey, that sounds good. Yeah, you know what? Uh, and Satan uses this stuff to go and to lessen your conscious of the effects of sin. We let it enter in. And then once you let it enter in, you begin to entertain it. You begin to convince yourself that a little sin doesn't hurt anything. And as you go on and people continue 
to go and they talk to people of this world and they really, the world's mentality really of marriage is, is, and you've probably heard this before, is that why would I get married with someone? I wouldn't go out and buy a car before I test drove it. And their whole idea is that you get into a car, you see where everything is, and how, how do I know what she's going to be like when I live with her, when I got to share a house with her when, and everything else? So you got to test drive it first. You got to go and experience it. And then at that point, when you go to the next step, then maybe we'll engage in marriage. This is their wisdom. This is their, 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 their thinking of this world. And what ends up happening is Christians begin to entertain these thoughts, these, these ideas, this wisdom. And you get into the wisdom of this world and the counseling and everything else. And next thing you know, you become this perverted mind that you can no longer reason and understand what true spiritual mind is versus the carnal mind. You begin to take spiritual principles and apply them in a worldly method. And it, your whole thinking becomes convoluted. And then we wonder why we get down the road and we end up with heartache and destruction in our life and everything else. God has his ways, and his ways are above our ways. His ways are perfect. His ways will always lead us in the right path. And no matter what goes our way, no matter what takes place in our life, we need to always gird up our minds and stand firm in the word of God and say, as for me in my house, I will serve the Lord, as Joshua said. When these things come into our mind and when the TV program comes on that is ungodly and that influences us in a bad way, we turn it off. We don't entertain it. We don't allow Satan to enter into our minds and to pervert our way of thinking. And we don't take the human wisdom of this world and bring it into the church. I've seen Christian couples that struggle in marriage and they go through this cycle constantly. And when you talk to them, the first thing they do is they're trying to apply the wisdom of this world with a spiritual application to it and think it's going to work out. I tell you what, if you have problems in your life, whatever it might be, you go straight to the Lord himself. And if there's a truly godly Christian counselor, what he's going to do is he's going to take you to the Lord. Because the Lord is the only one that can heal you. The Lord is the only one that can make you straight. The Lord, through the Spirit of God, is the only way to unblind your, your, your way of thinking and to give you clear eyes so that you can see the true light of the Word of God. Because we end up getting blinded, and once you're blinded, you don't know which way you're going to go. Once you enter into that darkness, you're confused. So many times these people, and you go and talk to them, and it's like, what are you thinking? Why are you making these choices? Why are you going this way? And really, they don't want to talk to you. They want to do what they want to do. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to flip around to a few verses. And these are just a few thoughts that are on my mind tonight. And um, um, I've learned over the years, and, and the word of God is really the... Um, what the Lord showed me. So really, it's my thoughts, and you're, you're, I guess as they say, you're just listening as I'm preaching to myself, because the struggle I have a lot of times at work is just the influence of all these, these ungodly people around you. And you end up, and you got to keep your mind girded. you got to keep your mind pure. you got to keep your mind out of the gutter and not let these guys get to your way of thinking. And I argue with these guys, and we argue, and sometimes it's not wise to argue with them, and you just let it be. And I, oh, the, the guy, this last week, he said, his, his wisdom was this. The worst thing that ever happened to our uh, world was religion, was God. 
because he brought in all these religion. And because he brought in religion, now we have all these diversities and everyone, and, and he's going on and how this really corrupted our society. This is the ignorance of the world. And you begin to, at one point, argue with them. At another point, you just, but yet they turn around and they want all the goodness and the morality that religions offers. They say, you know, I mean, you remove religion in a sense of, of Christianity, and now you have no absolute truth. So really, for me to go and steal something from you is not wrong because there is no right or wrong. There is no black or white. There is no uh, um, absolute truth. So therefore, for me to go and murder someone really is justifiable. Who's to say it's right or wrong? And we can go on and on and on, but that's, that's the reasoning behind it that you, it's all around. This is what, and Russ can probably testify more than any of us, that when he goes out witnessing and hearing these people say this stuff of the ignorance of the world. But if we allow them to get into our head it is where we end up with a problem. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. And going along with this, girding up the, the, the loins of your mind and not allowing anything to come down and to hinder you as we move forward in our walk in, in, uh, in our knowledge of learning of God. So therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here, our ultimate example of who we follow and who we look to is none other but Jesus. Look at what happens here. Let every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now take this into a race setting and of your mind. And what happens if we don't gird up our minds? We let the the robe hang down around. We can't run the race. We're slow. We can't run with endurance. We're going to be tripping as we go step after step. But the same applications of our mind is that if we gird it up, you're able to run with endurance. You're able to keep going. And these things that come up in the world, these things that try to take our minds away from Christ, we gird up and we block them out and we can continue on and keep running on. You know, one of the times when our, I think, um, I've noticed in my life, when you're more susceptible to the mind allowing things to come in is, is when you're tired. Fatigue sets in. Or when you're hungry. Um, when the body begins to break down. And a lot of times, uh, I'll say to myself, as these stupid thoughts come into your mind, just go take a nap. Get some rest, you know. Or... Uh, as our kids are, are, are sitting there and you can't reason with them, their minds are out of control and all they're doing is crying. You're like, you just need a nap. <laughs> you can't think. But, when, but think of this. When you're fatigued, when you're tired is when you're most susceptible. Then your mind is, 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 and you could say, the most ungirded that you would allow these thoughts and actually contemplate and reason and, and think through stuff and, and try to justify sin or whatever your actions might be. It's fatigue, and you have to, at this moment in time, say, you know what, I know I'm tired. I, I know I'm fatigued. But you've got to know the principles of the Word of God, and you stand it, and you don't compromise. You don't entertain those thoughts. You don't take them in. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he is our example, what happened when he was, went through the temptation? He was hungry. He was tired. 
And he showed us through all of that, through all that he went through in the wilderness, through, through the, the, the lack of sleep, the, the thirsty, hungry, that he wasn't going to falter at all. That his mind is fixated on the Father in heaven and that he goes and, and quotes scripture and puts that word of God between him and the temptation that would come before him with Satan to stand firm in the word of God and to not hinder his life or falter. And it shows that we have a perfect high priest that will never sin. That he could go in the most extreme conditions and never falter doesn't show that he was capable of sin and did not. It shows that he cannot sin. He cannot fail us in any aspect. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And he's the one that we are to look to as our example. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. So where does this take place? What happens in the moment that we're saved versus an unsaved individual? Our minds are precious. But you see, there's a problem. And to go is that you have anywhere from people that have been a Christian for many, many years, and you have people that are newborn Christians. And there's a process in which you have to go through in which your mind is renewed and your mind, the way you think, thinking process has to totally be revamped. Because once you get saved, you're now thinking different. You don't think like an unbeliever. You don't think like the world. You don't think like your father, the old father of the devil. But now you're a child of God. And as a child of God, you think like God. You take on your viewpoints supposed to be the same as God. But the reality is, is that, and we're going to get into this, is that it's not a, uh, instantaneous that your old nature is just wiped away and you don't remember anything of the old nature, but it's actually a transition in which you got to go through and that we wrestle with and we fight with. This carnal mind versus a spiritual mind, the new nature versus the old nature, where they're warring to have dominance in your life. The carnal mind wants to feed that flesh, wants to indulge in sin. It wants to devour you. It wants the things of the world. It wants to put me first to be selfish. It wants everything <clears throat> that is against God. Versus the spiritual mind is that mind of Christ, that mind that God gives us, that we walk after the Lord, that we make his ways our ways, that we now believe that, that, that sin is harmful and damaging to us. And it's not just a list of do's or don'ts, but we hate sin the way God hates sin. And we love our fellow Christians, and we love the church, and so on and so forth. Chapter 4, verse 3 says this, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, <clears throat> lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look at that. It's God who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness. It's God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> See, the, the, the people of this world, their minds are blinded by the God of this age, by Satan himself. <clears throat> they think like the world. Their minds <coughs> are corrupt. 
their whole thinking process is not right. And see, Satan has them where they want. Now, what is the only way to bring them out of that state of mind? What is the only way that an individual can come to his senses, if you would say? Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine on them. That gospel, when you preach the gospel to someone, it's an amazing thing. Because here you have this depraved individual that their mind only thinks of themselves and serving themselves and is of a worldly nature. Then all of a sudden, the gospel hits them. And for the first time through the Holy Spirit, they begin to get convicted of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. All of a sudden, within their mind, the light's being shined on them. And the Lord's illuminating them and giving them an idea of who God is. Showing them that there is a sinner. Showing them that there is a Savior. What it actually were, the word means convicted, that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That word convict in the, the original, according to Vines, is something of a, like an attorney, a prosecutor, that continually puts the case before you. Continually says, hey, this is the case. This is, this is the case of why you're a sinner. This is the case of why you need to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, whether the person receives it or not is, is, is relevant to them, but the, the illumination of that Spirit of God still goes forth, enlightens them, and tr tries to convince them that they need to get saved. They are blinded. They don't see the need of the Savior. Then all of a sudden, the light of the glorious gospel shines on them. The light bulb clicks on, and then they have within their intellect, within their reasoning, to either accept Jesus Christ or not. They have the choice to say, yes, I'll take them. No, I don't want them. Just like we read this morning at Rod Bread, they had a choice to choose Christ or Barabbas. And it's through their reasoning, through their intellects, through their knowledge, but through the Holy Spirit, he can come on <clears throat> upon him and shine this light upon him that the minute that they say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, yes, I want the Savior, the Holy Spirit saves them. And now they enter into a new life. They are given a new nature. Their whole way of thinking is different. The light's been turned on. It's like they've been in, they have been in darkness their whole entire life, and all of a sudden that light is turned on, and now they can see the truth of who God is and the purpose of life. For the first time, they can read the word of God and understand it because the Spirit's given them the illumination. A side note, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 real quick. Just to put this in your... <clears throat> I'm not going to read the whole passage, but dealing with the mind and, and, and of a carnal mind and a worldly mind, there's three things that God begins to give over in Romans chapter 1. And these are judicial <clears throat> judgments of where God judicially gives them up. And if you were to follow it through, um, you would see that he gives them over to their, their heart, their choices, their body, and then he gives them over their soul, their emotions. The very last thing that he gives them over to, and I believe we're in this day and age and this time, is he gives over their minds. That ability to reason. Now we have, a, a, a <clears throat> because the Holy Spirit here is here and Christians are in this world, we are restraining a certain evil and darkness that is upon this land. Just the influence of Christians. But if you were to remove us, say, time of the rapture, he that restraineth is removed, what would happen? Every man can go after their own uh, desires of their heart. But look at verse 28. 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but those, but also approve of those who practice them. We are there. We, we are in this third stage of, of world unbelief of where God gives them over to debased minds. He gives them over to what they want. He gives them over to their thinking and everything that comes along. And look at that long list. And it says not only those that do it, but those that approve of it. We have people that approve of it all around us now. That not only embrace it, but improve it, prove of it and endorse it. But put that in the back of your minds as we continue on this world, that, that this is the world in which we live in as they've turned and rejected God. But turn over to Romans chapter 8. I would commend your reading for Romans 7, 15 through 25, but for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. But here we see the two natures at work. And if we were to read Romans chapter 7, you would see Saul of Tarsus battling with Paul, the apostle. You would see the old nature, this carnal nature, this sinful nature, battling, wanting to do evil. Whereas Paul in his mind and everything else in the new nature wants to serve God and wants to live righteously. And the very <clears throat> end of, of chapter 7, verse 24, it says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. But look at chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity with God, against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And he's going to go on, and Paul is going to go on and talk about this, but he's going to go on and talk about how we are to live in resurrected life, that just as, as Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that same spirit that raised him, lives within us to, for us to walk in newness of life. We're to walk in a changed life because we are no longer under the power of that old nature. See, an unbeliever is under the power of his old nature, and it drives him. But that old nature, it should be dead to us. Reckon it dead. We shouldn't even listen to it. We shouldn't even entertain it. We have the power to say, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to go on and serve the living God. I'm going to go on and live righteously with, for God. But the problem with Christians is that oftentimes we set our minds on the things of the flesh. We entertain the things of this world. You know, oftentimes we think we're under attack by Satan and so on and so forth. But oftentimes, and I found in my own life, Satan doesn't need to attack me. I'm my own, in my own stupidity, entertain the garbage of this world, entertain the thoughts, and entertain and waste my mind on things of this world. But we do it over and over and over again. 
you think back of all the years that I've been walking with the Lord, and think back of yours, and how many years have I wasted? How much time have I wasted? How much time could I have been studying the Word of God? How much more advanced could I be in my knowledge of the Savior and of God? How much knowledge have I, or time I have wasted entertaining all the stuff of this world? I'm not going to get into details, but just I already mentioned with the Miami Dolphins. Innocent stuff, stuff that, that's really, it's neutral, it's neither bad nor good. It's just miscellaneous facts that, um, and some of the stuff of the world, the thing I struggle with the most, to be honest with you, is I have an occupation as a police officer, and in order to advance up, you have to study the manual. The manual's a big, thick book, and know all the, the, the procedures and everything else. Do I want to give my mind time to that? Look, I, I, I'm already uh, um, not the brightest bulb in the, of the bunch, so you can only, I can only take in so much. There's some people that and you see their capacity to understand and take stuff in. They read stuff and it just takes, it's real easy. But how much time do I devote to the word of God versus devoting to the workplace to get the promotion to go back and forth? How much, there's no right or wrong answer, but it's something you have to reason within yourself and between the Lord. But the whole example here is that our first place should be studying the word of God. And you hear the old stories of men of God that went and worked in, in whatever it be, the, the, the coal mines, whatever it be, and they come home, and they put their mind on the things above and on Christ. But to be aware that there's a war going on, and this war is between having a, a mind of Christ, a spiritual mind, versus that carnal mind. And that carnal mind wants to dominate you. It wants to occupy you. It wants to take you over. James chapter 1 and verse 8 talks about a double-minded man and how he's unstable in all his ways. This man has the, the, the mind of both the world and of, of the Lord in the sense in that he has two minds. He's unstable. He doesn't know which way to go. He's constantly warring. And he's an unstable person. But we're to be one-minded. And that is to have the mind of Christ. And when we come together and we have this spiritual mind and we're walking with the Lord, then the, 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 the unity of the body of having the same mind would come together. First Corinthians chapter two, verse sixteen, chapter, chapter two, verse sixteen says, "But we have the mind of Christ." And in Second Timothy one seven talks about, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind." Turn with me real quick to Colossians chapter three, then we'll close with Philippians two. Colossians chapter three. What what a, a basic, basic teaching of Christianity. But yet, um, it's just amazing. It's so simple, but yet we fail to do it. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, and he goes on to talk about living a Christian life, a pure Christian life. But look at the basics, look at the starting point. We have to seek, we have to desire earnestly, we have to strive after, we have to go after the things that are above. We have to seek out Christ, we have to find the hidden treasures within the Word of God. 
And when you find those things, go to verse 2, set your mind on the things above. You seek it and then set, fixate. Stay there, not the things on the earth, but on the Lord. Be heavenly minded. Think like God thinks. And in closing, Philippians chapter 2, which I know you guys all know, we're going to read it because there's no greater mind than the mind the Lord Jesus Christ had and the humility that he was willing to put us first, that he was willing to leave the heights of heavens, that he was, that he was willing to leave all his visible manifestation of that glory and take on humanity, take on flesh and blood, to put our salvation above his own position. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let me read that again. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. You know, one fact I heard, or someone said they did a survey, or whatever they did, but they said those that take selfies seem to have a higher opinion of themselves. And for those of you who don't know what selfies is, it's when you take your cell phone and take a picture of yourself. But they said they're able to get the angle that makes them look best. They're able to take pictures that hide their flaws and everything else. And they begin to be conceited and think higher of themselves. But the scriptures talk about the humiliation that we're to actually have lowliness of minds. Not to think highly of ourselves, but to put other people above ourselves. To lift up other people, to put other people's lives and well-being and whatever it might be to serve one another. And verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. There's the word mind again. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who is our example to follow by. Let our mind be the same that was in Christ Jesus, that we can exalt each other above ourselves and live out true Christianity and set our minds on God. You see, God will give us all the wisdom and knowledge that we can contain if we seek him out. He will give it all. But God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we know the Savior. Most important that we know him, that he knows us and that we are his. And we thank you so much that you have given us your spirit to teach us all things. Yes, the deep things of God. To give us the mind of Christ. That we can know all the spiritual insight into the word of God. 
that as we read these words, that, that they begin to come alive. They become food for our, our souls to live by. Father, may we put your word in our mind. May we take in the word of God and gird up the loins of our mind, protect it. Lock that stuff up in there. Father, don't let in the world, but to live with a sound mind, to live with a controlled mind, and a mind that pleases you, the mind of Christ. Father, just continue to work in our lives. Change us. Conform us to the image of Christ, we do pray. In his name we pray. Amen.